get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center. Perry scoops. Corey Perry. William able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. <laughs> with with that, uh, we're back. Uh, was it, is it a, a week later? How how long has it been since our last show? Two uh, I think technically two weeks. Two weeks. Okay. All right. Well, we were supposed yeah, to. Um, this was my first full week back. Yeah. Yeah, we were supposed well, to well, hop on with the draft. I show think we today. released a week late. Yeah. Well, yeah, happened. a few days. Yeah, a few days late. Yeah, we recorded on Thursday and then released it like Sunday or something. That's. <laughs> Luckily, the the topics were still still fresh, but um, yeah, thank God. Yeah, we were we were gonna hop on today and um, do a draft preview show, uh, but we had a little bit of kind of scheduling issues uh, getting the guests that we wanted to get. So we are working on um, getting that. We still got a ton of time. Drafts not till what late July, so we've mm-hmm. got we've got plenty of time to get that one out. So instead, uh, we've got a few updates. We're gonna talk a bit about uh, the Calder Trophy going to Moore Cider. Uh, Mason McTavish and the Memorial Cup. Just a few brief updates, and then we've got a fun, fun little game we've been scheduling for I don't know three, four months that we've been trying to Dude, get. This. It's not longer than that. Yeah, it's this is the one that's been in the works for a while. Uh, but I'll, I'll let you explain it because we, we've been we've been waiting. So yeah, so uh, you know the Ducks have been kind of um, I don't know. I guess a couple of years ago they were on that little run of retiring jerseys. They got. Solani Korea and Niedermeyer all pretty quick. Yeah. Distracting they got, us from them being bad, right? So Yeah, it worked really well. <laughs> um so but yeah, so like other than once they got Solani who like one hundred percent had to be the first guy to go up. Yeah. You know, then they were able to get the other two in and so it, now Anaheim, you know, they have the history and somewhat the success to now kind of have guys that you can start to really think about being like, oh, should they go up in the rafters? Or, oh. And one of the things I think is really interesting about the, the that conversation is how different opinions are about what should or shouldn't count towards someone going up into the rafters for any specific team and having their, their jersey their jersey number retired. There's, there's kind of a, a step down from that, which I think is something that uh, – I think you said only one team has an official one, but yeah, yeah, yeah. One team has an official ring of honor, which is Vancouver. But we were talking before the show, and uh, I can't remember what it's called. But Toronto has something. Like Wall of Stars, Wall or something of, yeah, like that. yeah. So they they just implemented that though. I think five or six seasons ago, and you said Montreal probably has something similar as They've, well. I'm hundred so percent yeah. sure they have something. Yeah, um, but but yeah, that's that's the idea because I look, man. I, I do think, you know, the history of franchises is important. I do think that that's something that can help connect people, right? Like watching players pass other players on the way up, mm-hmm. you know, the charts and stuff like that is really cool. And I think I kind of remembering, you know, the guys along the way who kind of made the team better or, or made the team like a little bit more fun to watch or something, but really never had the like. 
high, high, like like elite end success and impact yeah. of someone you're going to retire, right? Yeah. And I just like, you know, I guess you could think of it as like a Ducks Hall of Very Good almost. Um, you know, but, but the way that I kind of described it to you when you made me actually like explain it <laughs> was players who had a significant impact um, either on the success or the history of the team, uh, the culture of the team, things like that. Anaheim, like I said, is finally old enough now that some of these guys are interesting. And uh, It's weird that I'm older than an NHL franchise, but that's fine. I'm older than more than one. But yeah, so, so that was kind of the idea. So uh, we kind of had a couple of different ideas of how to structure it and stuff like that. Um, but I think we ended up just being like, ah, let's just pick a couple of guys and go from there. Yeah. But did we want to start with the Calder stuff real quick? Yeah, yeah. We might as well get into that. Um, because if we end up recording a no week from now, it's going to be fairly old. So we might as well briefly get into that. But as we kind of expected, like there was an outside shot that maybe Zegers would win because of the flashiness and, and mm-hmm. the you know the media attention that he got this year. Uh, but ultimately, it comes down to the voters, and it was cider. I wouldn't say by a landslide, but the majority of the first place votes went to more cider. No, 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 no. Yeah, it, it was a landslide. Yeah, it wasn't quite the Makar Yossi Norris race. It was, I think, it was like eighteen hundred plus points to cider. It was like eleven hundred or something to to Zegers for the final rankings, and then Bunting was a, a distant third. He got some first place votes, probably from the Toronto media. But uh, yeah, like it. it uh, as much as sure. I would have loved Zegers to win, I think Cider was probably, and we talked about this all year, the, the guy that should have won and probably the most deserved to win. If Zegers had have won, I, I don't think it would have been a major shock because I think he still deserved, he was the closest one to to beating Cider. But um, yeah, at the end, I, I think, you know, it, great season from Trevor Zegers for sure, but more Cider, just what he did as a first-year defenseman with a, a team like that was unbelievable. Yeah, uh, so Zegers had 15 first-place votes. Cider had 170 first-place votes. Yeah. And then Bunting, I think, got seven. And then Lucas Raymond got one, which made me laugh. Uh, a first-place vote? Lucas Raymond. No, yeah, he got a first-place vote. And, like, again, it's I hilarious because it. it's not any shots at Raymond. It's just Moritz Cider was the runaway favorite for the majority of the season. And there was still one person out there who was like, he's not even the best rookie on his team. And I love it. All love for, uh, for Lucas Raymond. Yeah, yeah. I'm but, um, I see here. Yeah, so yeah, Zegers had 100 second place votes. So mm-hmm. he was the landslide one there. Couple yeah. Fifth I mean, place votes for Zegers. Fuck you, Toronto. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, so yeah, I, I think everything you said is right. I think the role that. Cider stepped into on that team is a hard role for anyone to fill and to see him do it at such a young age and have the kind of success or impact, I guess, is a better way to phrase it, that he did was was remarkable. And, you know, me and, me and you talked about this and stuff as far as, like, there were plenty of other rookies who, um, you know, had meaningful contributions. Uh, Cole Caulfield got his season turned around once St. Louis came on board and really poured it in at the end. Matt Boldy came down for a, a minute there at the end for Minnesota and had a huge impact. Anton Lindell was the third-line center on the President's Trophy team as a rookie. Yeah. 
you know, like there were Jeremy Swayman was the number one goalie for Boston, which was a playoff team. Like, you know, it is not nothing. The number of high quality rookies that are entering the league right now and specifically that entered the league this year. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do think that kind of at the end of the day, it did feel like the final three was kind of the the final three that made the most sense in a lot of terms with Cider, yep. Zegris, and um, Bunting, right? Because Bunting has a lot of the raw stats. He also has the presence of the market. He's on a good team. He's playing with these great players. He's putting up these numbers. I get, you know, I get the whole, he's, he's, he counts. So that's not his fault. But for me, the age thing is a factor. So, um, you know, but I, I, yeah, I, I just think it was great. It was really awesome. Uh, I'm really happy for Cider, and you know, Trevor Zegers. Ha- fuck, man, the fact that he got into that conversation, he finished in a very clear second place this year was, was remarkable. It's like we said, there wasn't a shortage of, of really good rookies this year. So yeah, you know, barring the just unbelievable rookie season from a defenseman in Cider, right. Zegers is the clear winner. In, in this conversation, right? If you take Cider out of the equation, I, I don't think it's any question that Zegers runs away with this um, and, and clearly, you know, steps away from it with uh, with the win. You just look at the number of second-place uh, votes that he had compared to, you know, Bunting and Raymond and Swayman, right? Like, without mm-hmm. Cider there, those are all first-place votes, and, and he ends up winning that, likely. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it's still a great season. You, you can't you can't argue. The, the one thing I have, like, looking at the list of players who got votes, the Toronto media is wild that Timothy Lilligren got one fourth-place vote and three fifth-place votes. I think he played 30 games or something this year, and Jamie Drysdale not even on the list. I don't think Drysdale necessarily deserved votes, but for <laughs> for Timothy Lilligren and Martin Faraberry to make that list and get third or fourth and fifth place votes and for Jamie Drysdale to not get one shout from somebody out there is wild. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, uh, once and hopeful future guest, Chris Watkins, yellow Pinato on Twitter. He was like, like he did like his whole thing based on his model that he has. And he was saying that Lilligren should have been probably the winner, if not much higher. And I was just like, okay. Like, I, Chris yeah, I is a really, really smart guy. He 100% like the stuff that he says, he always has a logical argument, but I don't always know when he's saying something just to get a rise out of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that we know anybody else like that. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> <clears throat> so, um, but yeah, like, you know, and again, played a, the 30 games thing I think is what really hurts, you know, because there's only six defenders on the team, right? When you're playing a game. So like if you're a rookie defender having a meaningful impact in any way on a competitive team like that, I I don't think that can be dismissed. So I don't necessarily have an issue with Lilligren as a thought. Uh, The idea that he ended up in the top five is a little funny to me because, you know, I have such high, uh, high praise for Lundell and, and Boldy. Yeah, and uh, even women. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just know, like the fact that somebody had him fourth, so over likely like we just take the top three as it is with Cider, Zegers, Bunting. They had Lilligren over Raymond, Swayman, Lundell, Tanner, Jeanette, Matt Boldy, Cole Caulfield. Yeah, 
(laughs) I love it so much. That's wild. So, um, and then the other thing we wanted to talk about was speaking of Calder trophies. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't want to get into that conversation yesterday. Somebody asked you if, uh, yeah. Tavish could be <laughs> called a trophy <laughs> next year. Ready for to do it yet. Yeah. But the young god, Mason McTavish. So uh Canadian correspondent Edward Jones, please update the update the class. Yeah, well I, I think since we last did our show, um I don't think the OHL playoffs were over. So Hamilton, Mason McTavish, they won in game seven. I think McTavish had two goals and an assist in that game. Um to win the OHL championship. Hamilton went on to the Memorial Cup, which started five days ago, I think, on the 20th. And not a great start. They lost both games, I think. They didn't have any points going into yesterday. So they lost They lost both to uh, Schwinnigan and St. John. So there's a round-robin game where every, everybody plays each team once. So you play three games. Um, and the, basically the first-place team with this point standing, they, they adopted a new one this year. It used to be the regular NHL standing. It was two, two for a win, one for overtime loss, zero for anything else. Now it was three for regulation win, two for an overtime win, uh, one for a mm-hmm. overtime loss, and zero for a, a regulation loss, I believe, was, is what they did. Anyway, heading into yesterday's game where it was the last game for Hamilton of the round robin, they played Edmonton. They had zero points. Edmonton had two. Schwinnigan had six. And St. John's had four. So it was a must-win game. They had to win in regulation to avoid a playoff tiebreaker against Edmonton. Um, And they ended up winning in regulation. McTavish scored two goals and an assist. I sent you the the one-timer from last night. If you haven't seen it, go look up the one-timer that uh, he scored last night. Just unreal. It's it's not even a one-timer. It's it's a half-timer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's insane, man. He's he's so good, and you know the thing that we've kind of talked about is like trying to get an idea of how to temper the expectations of clearly how skilled, how just talented he you know he is. Like you can see the talent level, and then trying to project that into a context, right? When his peers are now older, more established NHL players, instead of players his own age um, or younger who, you know, aren't as physically developed as him and stuff like that. And, you know, we've talked about this. This is something I'm really hoping to get into if we are able to sit down with our guest, uh, you know, but, but the comparisons to Nick Ritchie are at this point, I think just completely baseless. Yeah. Well, they were is, in, the, in the, in the first place, but sure, now but it's, they've been obliterated. I so. think it's, yeah. Like, I, I get the hesitation given who made the pick, right? So, like, I, yeah. I, I I agree with you. I didn't necessarily think that was fair to him from the start, but I understood it. And yeah. I think seeing him have this level of success and the ways in which he's scoring goals, the plays that he's making, and the success that he's having, I think he's he's pretty much made that comparison irrelevant, which is a testament to how well he's played uh, in the year since the draft. Yeah, yeah. And, and watching him in his role – with Hamilton is so different from when we watched Nick Ritchie with uh, with Peterborough and with Sault Ste. Marie when he was in the OHL, where Nick Ritchie was kind of this just top-line banger forward who had a pretty good shot for junior, but was the recipient of playing with great players, right? He was on the wing of the top line for each team that he was on and was just kind of the main shooting option on that team in junior. With McTavish, 
in Peterborough, he was the number one center. He played in all situations, penalty kill, power play, you know, you name it. He was the guy out there. He's come to Hamilton and not been given the first-line role. They've got a lot of overage forwards, Logan Morrison, uh, Avery Hayes. Those are kind of the two main guys for Hamilton. They make up the top line with one of their younger guys in Ryan Winterton. And McTavish comes in and gets a second-line role, becomes a second-line center, gets put with some still some skilled players, but not the top guys on the team. And then you watch any game that they've played in the playoffs, any key moment for this, it's it's his line. It's him who's out there, or he's been bumped up to that first line. Mm-hmm. And Winterton's been either moved to the blue line to play four forwards, or, or he's taken him completely off there. Like The way he's utilized on this team just shows how important he is. He's out there in every key situation, every key face-off. He is the guy that they want on the ice. He's the trigger man, and anytime they need a goal, power play, you know, last couple minutes of a game, if the net's pulled, he's the guy who's gonna they're looking for to shoot the puck. And you can tell why with the, the goal that he scored last night. And I, I think he's definitely getting the attention he deserves, but the points aren't the top in the league. He was around the top in the OHL players. I think he finished fifth. Um, two teammates in front of him in Hayes and Morris in, in the Memorial Cup right now. I think he's six and scoring three goals and an assist in three games. But he's not the main option offensively, right? He's not on the top line. He's getting all these other responsibilities, but he's still producing. And every every single goal he scores seems to either be a go-ahead goal, game-tying goal, or the game ends up being the game-winning goal in that situation, like last night's where that one-timer ended up being the third goal for Hamilton in a 3-2 victory. So... He it, it's hard, right, to temper that. Uh, oh, sorry, four two. Yeah, they ended up winning four uh, two, but the game winning goal uh, for McTavish. But yeah, it's so hard to not to temper your expectations, right? When you mm-hmm. watch him dominate like this, so now they're on to the semifinals with that win tonight. They play. Um, I didn't check who, or I think the other game's tonight between St. John and, and Shawinigan. So whoever... You, just, you don't fucking know. <laughs> they play one of them. More than likely, they play. Um, they play St. John's in the semifinal, and then if they win, they would end up playing Schwinnigan in, in the final. So a couple more games left for McTavish in the year. Hopefully he can go on and, and win the whole thing. They've got a team that's capable of doing it, but it's been it's been so fun to watch him and think, you know, next year the Ducks could have another player in the, the Calder conversation with McTavish joining, and he's going to have a lot of other guys that are going to be in the league next year full-time, guys like Owen Power, uh, Kent Johnson, I'm trying to. I'm, I'm missing a ton of them, but you know all those. Matty Beniers. Yeah, Matty Beniers. So it, there's going to be another Brent tough Clark race. Brent Clark will probably play enough games. Yeah, you would think so. Byfield would uh, be in. Not that. Brent Clark. Ken Johnson. KJ. Yeah, in Colorado. Yeah. Uh, Columbus. Sorry. I, I don't I'm think afraid. Byfield played enough games, so I think he mm-hmm. would be in that He'll conversation again. Sure. Um, uh, yeah. There's... Here's the other thing we have to worry about. Simon Edvinson is probably going to come over next year. Yeah. So another, another Detroit defenseman to, to mm-hmm. <laughs> go up against. So so that would be tough. You know, yeah. that's a thing. But yeah, uh, yeah. It, I mean, he'll be he he has a shot. Um, oh, Simon, we might have to go full uh, Tanya Harding on that oh, kid. God, I can't. Yeah, uh, it, I think it all depends on where he plays next year, right? Is is a lot of those other guys could potentially have first or second line opportunities for McTavish. Um, you know, you could pencil him in on the second line right now is the second line center, but it all depends on where they end up wanting to put him, how he looks in his first few games, obviously training camp preseason, and then the first few games of the NHL season. I think he's going to stick around for sure, um, mm-hmm. but I don't want to, I don't want to get dragged into another, another Calder race conversation until, until we're maybe like 20, 30 games into the season. And we've seen 
kind of how he started and where he stacks up against some of these other guys because it, it is tough, tough competition uh, to go up against next year. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, for me, uh, I, I'll wait till August, you know. Yeah. Maybe if we get a little bit of more reports from like Ricky Camps or something like that, then I'll, I'm willing to jump in right away. I just I just need a just give me a month. A little break from <laughs> just right off rolling off the loss of for from trying to fight yeah. Detroit fans. So, uh, but let's let's pop into the the ring of honor. Yeah, are uh, we uh, starting with the I guess the easiest position in, in goalie, or where, where do you want to start? Let's start at forward. So okay. who's who's a forward that you had? So I, I wanted to start this with um, I was going to pick Corey Perry, but then obviously the the likelihood is that the next jersey retired after Ryan Getzlaff is his. I feel like he's so borderline, right? Like he should get the jersey retirement, but we know I Getzlaff is I don't think he's next. borderline. Like I think he's in, but I, I just feel like in this conversation, like we've got Getzlaff who's next. Perry should be the next one after that. So I'm and not going to include him in mine. Like, yeah. There's, there's nobody, nobody else. else. Yeah. So yeah. I, I can't include him because, you know, second all-time in games played and goals, third in points, first in pims, 14 years with the Ducks, Hart Trophy, Stanley Cup champion. Like, that's all pedigree to be, to get your name up in the rafters. He's going to be, you know, that rank, second, third, first in those categories for the next 10, 15 years until somebody sticks around long enough to pass him. Uh, so he, he has to be up there. So I was going to include him, but then I, I just I had to preface that no, I, I can't. So I think he's a borderline lock. Like yeah. I, I I think it'll happen uh, fairly quickly. Yeah, yeah. I could see. I, I don't know if they would ever do this. I mean, they, I could see the same thing as as Korea and Niedermar, where it's in the same season. I was thinking maybe they would do it on the same night, but I I don't think they could. They could end up doing that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, okay, so my, my actual first guy then um, is Steve Ruchin. So former Ducks hey. captain. Yeah, former Ducks captain, formed the iconic trio centering uh, Korea Solani, 10 years with the Ducks. Uh, sits, you know, top 10, top 5 in a lot of categories, points, games played uh, over, over the last, you know, over the 10 years that he played uh, with the Ducks. He, he kind of felt like outside of obviously Getzlaff and Perry, who are going to have their names put up there as the most standout option among the fours mm-hmm. of a guy who could who should probably get it um you know still every time the ducks have anything and any, any jersey retiring any you know um events or anything he's he's the guy that has to come out right like he's still the guy right. who ends up always being there so uh, he he kind of felt like the the obvious first edition if you're going to pick any fours it would probably be him yeah no uh he was he was one of my guys so i that's the other thing we didn't talk about this and part of it was um, you know, just whatever. But the other big part of it that I think was interesting is just to see where we kind of went because we didn't put any like parameters or anything really other than kind of like two-ish forwards, two-ish defensemen and a goalie and then, you know, whatever. Yeah. And we all have um, kind of extras just to, that we were thinking. Yeah. About, so. so I uh, I, I 100% agree. I think, I think uh, there's an argument to be made that Steve Ruchin should be the second name to go into a ring of honor. Uh, for Anaheim, yeah. um, you know, I uh, I just pulled some of his stats up and stuff, and uh, he played the heart of his career from 1995 to 2004 with Anaheim. He was uh, taken by Anaheim in the auxiliary draft, 
Um, yeah. So he wasn't even in the actual NHL entry draft. He had he played 616 games, which was fifth in franchise history. He has 153 goals, which is sixth. He has 279 assists, which is sixth, and 432 points, which is fifth. Yeah. And he played from again 1995 to 2004. My favorite thing about this, <laughs> he played 10 years. 616 games and he had 140 penalty minutes that's it he's 66th all-time for anaheim in penalty minutes it's wild i thought he would have way more Uh, i assumed he would have way more again like i you know um i don't have too many long-term memories of watching him as a kid because when he was there i was like six seven eight but just again like you would think by looking at the guy you know looking at some highlights of his size and, and the fact that he's playing down the middle between korea and solani mm-hmm. that he would be the guy that would probably be the physical side of the thing but no like you know somehow a guy at 63215 uh, didn't put up a, a ton of penalty minutes but I, but i guess if you are the main defensive anchor of that line you probably shouldn't be in the box too much right yeah so, no i think <laughs> i think up. that's part of it right is you know you he just he has to be smart enough to play like the person in that role has to be smart enough to play with Solani and Korea mm-hmm. and also be disciplined enough to you know have their back because love them both to death I don't think either of them was playing particularly exceptional defense and Steve Virgin really was you know just kind of uh, you know the the he was just the brute force on the line. He was he was yeah. the the pick it the do it all pick everything up kind of guy, and um, it's been really fun to see him kind of show up every time they do something lately, and to his, see his story him still is, around the organization. Yeah, his story is just wild too. Again, like I would love to to dive a bit more into kind of the supplemental draft and where some of these guys came from and how they got them. But when you look at like the playing history here, uh, the season before the supplemental draft, he's listed as playing at the University of Western Ontario in my hometown in London. Like Hell yeah. College or university hockey in Canada. And then all of a sudden he gets drafted in the supplemental draft, plays the next season, uh, half the season with the Gulls, 41 games, and half the season with the Ducks. And then goes on from there to play 600-plus NHL games. Like <laughs> You look at the guy who Florida drafted in that draft uh, in front of them, Sean McCann, a defenseman, didn't play a single NHL game, and they drafted him, and he was playing in Harvard, so he was playing in the NCAA at the time. A guy that uh, was drafted right after him, Steve Guola, I think it is, by Ottawa, ended up playing uh, about, I think, 150 NHL games. And then you go down the list, like the rest of these guys, I don't think they played more than really 100, 150 NHL games, if they played at all. So the fact that, like, Again, he's playing university hockey in Canada to mm-hmm. go 600-plus games with the franchise and center one of probably the most iconic line in Ducks history. It's just it's wild. Like He, he has to have a name there. He, he Again, like you said, probably the second option, the second most likely guy to, to get in there, but he would have to be in that ring of honor for sure. And, I, I, and I've heard some people talk about and mention his name potentially if the Ducks wanted to push the jersey retirements a little bit that he could be a guy you could consider. I think it's a bit of a stretch, but you've heard his name in those conversations when fans have kind of been discussing who should get their name up in the rafters, right? So, Yeah, I, I think he he presents a really interesting case in that way because 
if you want to be that franchise, right, that retires a lot of numbers, that there, there's 99 numbers, man. Well, you know, yeah. 98, right? And then you start taking a couple of those. But there's a, a lot of numbers, and a lot of guys wearing those numbers are not going to get their jersey retired. So I don't think it's a huge issue. The The question just becomes kind of how do the fans feel about it? What is the franchise trying to yeah. to make it mean? It, it's it's culture questions, right? Um, but I 100% agree. So I think having this I, ring of honor is, is so – Important, it's such a, yeah, important and good for an organization to still recognize these guys. And like you had mentioned in kind of the run-up for this, to tell the story of the franchise and of exactly. guys who had an important – like Ruchin was an important player. He wasn't Korea Solani, who everybody knows mm-hmm. and can go back and look at the stats. Right. But if you didn't grow up with the team in that era, don't go back and look at it, you wouldn't know that Ruchin was the guy between – Korea and Solani and his impact that he had during his 10 years with the Ducks without, you know, some sort of recognition of that. If you're going to just go back and dive through, you know, briefly dive through the, the Ducks stats and, and, and look at it, you're right. not really going to find that unless somebody's written a story on it. So that's, yeah, I think it's important for that. And and then you don't have to bog down, it's maybe not the best term, but bog down the, uh, you know, the Jersey retirements. Because I think it does get a little bit stretched when you are just retiring guys and yeah, I mean, doing it's, that, it's right? Just, it, again, bog down or dilute, right? Yeah. But they're not great words and they feel a little shitty for a guy that obviously we have a ton of, you know, respect yeah. for as a hockey player. But yeah, it's interesting because I think you're 100% right. I do think Richard's a little bit of a stretch, but you can absolutely make the argument if you want to, right? And be like, no, this dude was like one of the most important players of this team for 10 years. Like that's not nothing, uh, you know? And I think that's totally fair. You know, he had three seasons where he finished with Selkie votes. They all got progressively worse, seventh, 14th and 45th. Uh, and he had two years uh, where he finished 13th and sixth in Lady Bing trophy. So his name was out there, right? At least amongst, you know, yeah. some of the writers and he was doing enough to get a little bit of acknowledgement via, you know, I, I think the Selkie and the lady being kind of paint a pretty clear picture of the type of, of player that he was, yeah. The type of player that he was and the role that he was asked to fill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, I, I, I love it, man. I wasn't I, I, I had him I wasn't hundred percent sure if if uh, you would go that direction. And so, yeah, I agree with you completely. Uh, so I will go with my other forward for now. Okay. And my guy, one of my favorite ducks, man, uh, Rob Niedermeyer. Yep. Yeah, he I was think, he was on my honorable, my, my like, my borderline guy. I had yeah, him. Yeah, I – to me, Rob Niedermeyer is a guy who is never going to get even close to the Jersey retirement conversation, right? Like, he yeah. just – but again – trying to tell the story of this franchise right you know i i uh i looked some of it up but like he's traded to anaheim in march of the 0203 season and he goes on the run with them all the way to the stanley cup finals which proves to be huge because they play the devils who on the other side of the ice is scott niedermeyer they are related actually um you know he plays 21 games he gets three goals seven assists uh, he's averaging over 23 minutes a night for Anaheim in the playoffs. Um, he had two shorties of his three goals. Two of them were shorthanded playoff goals. So, like, you know, again, like, they're just extra noticeable, extra impactful. Um, and, you know, 06-07, he played 21 games. He had five goals, five assists. He was plus nine, 39 penalty minutes, and he still played 18 and a half minutes a night, man. Like, 
he was a very meaningful player for the team. He he was a big part of why Sammy Paulson was so successful. And I don't mean that to disparage Sammy Paulson, but to point out that Rob Niedermeyer was a very good player in his own right, and him and Sammy Paulson and then eventually Travis Moen uh, were able to create that kind of very famous uh, third line shutdown line uh, for the 07 cup run. Um, for uh, Rob Niedermeyer, 382 games played, uh, 56 goals, 68 assists, uh, 311 penalty minutes. You know, uh, he had 70 or seven regular, uh, sorry, seven regular season game winning goals in his career. It's just, you know, I, I think all of these numbers kind of point to a player that is not legendary, but is memorable yeah. in a way that if you watched these teams, he's someone that meant something, right? He had the A on those teams, right? You saw Scott Niedermeyer, I think, take it back from Solani to then hand it to Rob or something like that. But, like, um, he was a meaningful player. He was a leader on the team. He was always one of my favorite players. I always liked the way that he played. Yeah. He played a really strong two-way game. He was kind of Jacob Silverberg before Jacob Silverberg, you know. And, and Rob Niedermeyer was a center, but he did end up moving towards the wing uh, when he had his most success because, again, they had Sammy Paulson. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that's the thing to remember about this too. Is it's not always about. I mean, he had good stats and longevity, and and you know, ranked highly in in terms of his time with the Ducks. But it is mm-hmm. a lot about those kind of other intangible things. Is you know, the leadership that he you know, that role he played in the team and you know, when they won the Stanley Cup. You know, the whole relationship and and you know, uh, set up with him and Scotty and and how much that meant to them and how much he meant, I guess, in, in terms of getting Scotty to that team and them being able to make that run. Like it's those little things like that and how much fans loved him that that also kind of add to this. Um, and that kind of leads into the guy that I had for my second one. I bored a little bit from the Vancouver Canucks Ring of Honor where they had Alex Burrows um, as as their guy, and uh, I had George Paros as uh, my other guy. So just uh, Man, again, I um, did yeah. not see that coming. Let's yeah. go. Please, yeah. please no. make the case for George Paros. Uh, I mean, if you if you ask a lot of people um, outside of, you know, Korea, Solani, Getzloff, Perry, who their favorite player was, I think a lot of people have George Paros in either as their number one or in their top three. Uh, but he did have a significant impact on, on this team. Again, 356 games played in Anaheim, Stanley Cup champion. Offensively, he's never been you know, the big impact guy. He had that role to play as the enforcer on this team during that, that period of time. He almost had a hat trick against Florida, so you, you'd be yeah. careful over there. <laughs> I, did, I did not put his uh, points, goals, and assists in this for a reason. But third in franchise history with Pims with 812 in only 356 games, and the only reason he's third is because Gazlaff and Perry played 1,900-plus <laughs> games with the organization, uh, and wow. Perry had like 1,100 Pims, and Gazlaff had, I think, just under 1,000. So, yeah. you know, a few more seasons for, for George, and he would have been uh, top of that list for sure. But I, I think, you know, I, I weighed up the options of, of somebody like him or Stu Grimson and, and those types of guys. Uh, yep. Just because, again, the, the role they play is not the prettiest role, but it is, and especially at that time, was an important role uh, to have a guy like that on the team. He's a fan favorite. Everybody loves him. 
was great in the community with the Ducks. He's just one of those guys that kind of did the right things when he was with the organization. And again, you know, statistically, he didn't have a big impact on the Ducks winning the Stanley Cup. But I do still think he was a big part of that team and uh, in the role he played on that team. So I, I, I think he was kind of a, a nice little shout. I think outside of Ruchin, there was a lot of other guys I considered, but I think just because of how much he meant to a lot of people on that team, to the fans at that time, he kind of just squeaked in above some of the other guys. Yeah, I, shit, man. I mean, like, <laughs> I have one... Uh, Ducks jersey with a player on the back. It's George Paris. Yeah. He was, you know, for that run, he was my favorite player, right? Like, Getz has always been my favorite player. He's, you know, huge like that. But, like, of the other guys, Paris was always my guy. Like, I loved watching him out there, man. You know, he had the whole thing with, uh, I think it was Bugard. Yeah. In the playoffs and, like, just, you know, all sorts of fun stuff. Like, it was just a blast. Yeah, some tough guys he had to go up against in that one. Yeah. Uh, Chris Neal would have been in Ottawa, I think, at that time, I believe. Yeah, uh, Chris Neal, that would have been uh, – he. I'm pretty sure he got the back end of Brashear. Yeah. Uh, you're looking at Fedoruk, Jared Bowl. They yeah. would have overlapped. Um, who are some of the other big guys? You've got – uh, Ryan Reeves was around back then for sure. Yeah, I'm trying to think like in that cup run who he would have had to go against. Um, uh, could be on that team, but like, yeah, it. Uh, Actually, he was the main, that. like the main guy Ducks for that. I mean, like, Absolutely. listen, they were a heavy team. There was a lot of guys on there who could do that. I mean, you know, Rob wasn't a big guy, but he still would be engaged physically. <laughs> You had Moen on that team, who was another guy who could step up and, and get things done. But it was George who was the guy that, if there was another heavyweight on the other team, it was going to be George, it was going to be Peros who fought him, right? Like, that was going to be the guy you go against. Right. So they played uh, Minnesota, so it would be 06, 07 um, Wild, and then Vancouver, Detroit, and then Ottawa. Just trying to think of, yeah. of who he went up against. I think Bugard would have been with the Minnesota Wild at that time. Yeah. So he definitely. But still, even just in general, all around that area, you know what I mean? Yeah, Bugard uh, for sure. He had 120 pims that year, so he was uh, he was definitely a guy. Let's see real quick. I'm on hockeyfights.com trying to goof around. Uh, all right, let's see his. Oh, oh Bexa was with the um, the Canucks. Bexa and Burroughs were guys he would have had to go against in that series. Uh, we just talked about with Burroughs and the Vancouver Canucks Ring of Honor. All right, here's his O six O seven fight card: Scott Parker, Cam Jansen, Darren McCarty, Radis Ivanins, Darcy Hordachuk, Donald Brashear, uh, Andre Waugh, Robin Regeer. Jody Shelley, yeah, Jody Shelley was Ooh, that was a bad man. Matt Walker, Eric Goddard, Scott Parker, Scott Parker, Jesus, Darcy Hordachuk, Zach Stortini, David Cosey, DJ King, yeah, uh, that would have, you know, he was around with like Kanaka, who was yeah. one of the best middleweights when he was playing. Yeah, um, the Sens you know, also had uh, Brian McGratton at that time too, apparently. Oh, so. Big bad boy. That would have been tough. But yeah, oh, yeah. I, I think I think yeah, for no, a lot man, of reasons I, he he kind of fits 
what you're looking for with this type of ring of honor honored for for his role and what he did for for that role and how important that role was at that time so yeah 100 percent. i think that's a that's a really really good pick you know um and i think you're 100 percent right the only really other person you can kind of put in there with him would be Stu grimson who mm-hmm. is one of the greats at the role right yeah um i think i think the cup is what maybe shift and, and then I, the standing and all so time too, yeah. in pims and games played and everything kind of shifted yeah, and i don't think Stu grimson is most known for his time in anaheim yeah where obviously peros is yeah 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 exactly um, so no i fuck man i love that pick that's a great pick uh so now i'm gonna make uh i'm gonna make my second forward choice and this is going to be this is an interesting choice because there's a reason uh, that they can't retire this person's number. Uh, but there's also a reason that they should be just under that line, right? Like they're right at the edge. Yeah. And I, I think it has to I think it has to be said. I think you gotta put Bobby Ryan in the ring of honor. I think that's the guy you gotta go with. He was, you know, to your credit or to your point earlier, he was the other guy on what is at least the second most iconic line yeah. in Ducks history. You know what I mean? That that big RPG line that just had heavy game where they played that cycle and they would just take over games and just eat time, you know, and it was I mean again, Bobby Ryan was not small, six two, two ten. Like he had that wonderful power move uh down the left hand side. He had the huge stick um, he had meaningful games, you know, he had the hat trick against Jonathan Quick where he made that Sajak cry. Um, he, you know, he has the moment like where he scores with Miko Koivu's stick up in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, the move the double DK in against Nashville. Yep. He's got, exactly. he's got the moments, right? So. He has the moments. He's got the totals, man. Like, yeah. you know, uh, for Anaheim. He had 147 goals and 142 assists in 378 games. Yeah. You know, he I'm finished, sure if you look at points per game, he's got to be top five or, or probably, probably fifth or yeah. sixth, right? So, I mean, yeah, let's see. Because I would do, imagine, like, it's Getzloff, Perry, um, Solani, and Korea, and then probably Bobby is right in and around that. So, yeah, so Bobby Ryan is seventh all-time in goals he's 12th all-time in assists 12th all-time in whoops assists i do not have points like i thought all right ninth in points <clears throat> oh excuse me i'm so sorry um uh Somehow he ended up finishing his career plus 40, um, 251 penalty minutes, 180 strength goals, 15 game-winning goals, uh, averaged almost 18 minutes a night. Like, Yeah, yeah he was uh, seventh in all-time points per game, uh, but I would really put him probably fifth because the two guys in front of him played 30 games in 85 games. So who? Fedorov was fifth with uh where is it hold on 0. 0.776 points per game in 85 yeah he had games. like yeah he rocked dude yeah. and then skip miller played 30 games and had 23 points so his 
seven six seven points per game was point zero zero two higher than Bobby Ryan's point seven six five. But yeah, no, I would I would say then Bobby Ryan is fifth, and it's Paul Tamu, Getzlaff, Perry, and then Ryan in terms of points per game, and. Uh, Trevor Zegra is still sitting at 747 right now. <laughs> Eighth all time. Um, yeah, so yeah. 0809, obviously, Bobby Ryan is on the all-rookie team. He finishes second in the Calder Trophy that year. Um, you know, he plays from 20 to 25 with Anaheim. He, you know, then he gets traded in the 2013 summer to Ottawa, brings back Jacob Silverberg and Stefan Nosen. And the pick that I believe ends up turning into Nick Ritchie. Uh, because I think the their pick is what they trade to. I believe, to yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was, yeah. Um, but, like, I just, he's huge name. One of the most beloved players in Anaheim history. Fans still love him. You know what I mean? Like, we saw it when he was able to do the game the other night. Anaheim fans love Bobby Ryan, man. Like, he means a lot to the team. He was one of the biggest stars and the biggest faces on this team when it had a a run of, you know, legitimate success. He scored 30 goals four straight years in Anaheim. The only time he didn't score 30 goals in Anaheim, there wasn't a full season because of the lockout. Or he played 23 games, which was his, like, half a rookie year in 08. You know, I, I just, he is to the extent that Peros is indicative of the uh, bottom of the lineup fan favorite role player type to the, to the degree that Ruchin is indicative of the, you know, the kind of underappreciated glue guy who does all the little things so the star can thrive. This is that second tier of star. Yeah. Right. This is, you know, one of the best offensive players to come through Anaheim, period. Like he, he at his peak, he was a phenomenal player. I have whatever issues I have with him because I'm dumb uh, <laughs> as far as like how beloved he was, what his impact in certain stupid shit like that was. But like at the end of the day, man, Bobby Ryan kicked ass. He was a great player. Yeah. He was a lot of fun to watch. He had that power move and uh, he, you know, he's going to he left a. a a lasting uh, mark on Anaheim as a franchise and on the fan base. Yeah, no, I would agree with that for sure. Um, and unless you want to retire number 54, sorry, buddy. It's not, <laughs> You're going to have to happening. take the ring of honor. <laughs> the only other guys I I thought of or considered and then kind of pushed to the side because we we're only picking two here just because I didn't think there was enough there. Um, the closest guy I had was Andy McDonald. Uh, for his impact and and the, the seasons that he was in Anaheim and what he was able to do again, it's kind of that secondary star behind some of the top guys, right? Um, mm-hmm. He was the closest one I had. Um, I looked at Sammy Paulson again just because of the, mm-hmm. the how much the fans are enamored with his role and and what his line did. And you talked about that with Rob Niedermeyer as well. And then looking at some of the newer guys and just longevity and the roles that they played with this team, I looked at Silverberg and Cogliano because of their roles mm-hmm. as the kind of shutdown duo and trio with mm-hmm. Ryan Kessler when mm-hmm. they were here with the organization. And then I had mentioned to you uh, before we recorded that the fact that Silverberg is, I think, what, fifth in games played in franchise history, and he's got six more to, to pass. Uh, uh, who is in He's six right now. He's got six. He's at six ten. Steve Ruchin is at six sixteen. Yeah. So I mean, so yeah. Again, longevity. Likely, yeah. Assuming he 
plays he's not again. done done yeah. he should pass Steve Ruchin sometime next year yeah even if he doesn't again you know six 600 plus games with the franchise um you know the the mm-hmm. success I guess individually there was always wanting more with Silverberg which I think hurts it a little bit everybody felt like he could be that guy because he was the main piece in the Bobby Ryan trade and everybody always thought okay like this guy has the shot and the skill to be a 30 goal scorer and it kind of just never developed or he was never utilized in that way and I think that's what hurts him a little bit in terms of his perception but when you break it down and look at the impact he's had over over and the consistency he's had up until recently because of the injury problems like he has been one of the most impactful players for the Ducks over the last you know five to ten years with the role that he's played and, and how when the Ducks were making long runs, how dominant that line was of Kessler, Cogliano, and Silverberg and what they were able to do. Like, there was nobody you could throw them against and they wouldn't be able to, to shut them down, right? Like, you were mm-hmm. you were not concerned that they wouldn't be able to do a job and get it done. Um, that, I think, for me, is the most confident line I've ever had as a fan watching with the Ducks where I'm like, yeah, okay, send them out in any situation. They'll get something done. Like I've, mm-hmm. I, I had no worries with that line. And I think that kind of perception and, and the longevity, again, Cogliano and Silverberg specifically had with this organization. Kessler would have if it wasn't for the injuries. I, I thought about those guys as, as guys you can could include in this, but Ruchin and Peros and, and you know the, some of the other guys, Bobby Ryan that we'd mentioned, Rob Niedemeyer, they kind of – just edged it a little bit with the success and role they had. So, yeah. And I mean, look, it's, it's essentially what we're doing is building like the inaugural class. Yeah. Right. Which is for, to one extent should be guys who are retired, which means Cogliano, Silverberg, Tesla, guys like that aren't technically in it. Bobby Ryan's not technically retired, but he's cooked. Um, you know, he's, I think he's all but said that he's retired and everything, but like official paperwork. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, yeah, I think the the two guys you mentioned off the top were two guys I had pretty high on my list as far as um, Andy McDonald and Sammy Paulson. I think you can make a legitimate argument for Ryan Kessler, like you said. I think Saku Koivu had yeah. a meaningful role on this team for a significant enough amount of time that this is one of those ways to be like, this was like a great player who came through here. Like, yeah. it's not nothing that he got to play here. Like, this dude played in two places, and one of them is Montreal, and they love this guy. Yeah, and it wasn't novelty either. It's not like he came here to, to to not do anything. He was an impactful player when he was he in was Anaheim. He was a very impactful yeah. player. It was him and Timu kind of trying to figure it all out behind Getsy for a long time. Um, you know, so yeah, I think those guys, uh, you know, I think you have fringe cases for guys like... <sighs> Maybe not quite. Maybe it's me being more personal, but like Chris Kunitz, I can see you making an argument for. Mm-hmm. Matt Bolesky, I can see you making an argument for. Um, I'm sure there's some more forwards from the 90s that we're just not thinking of right now. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think by and large, those are kind of the forwards um, that, that, you know, really had a meaningful impact on this team, either on or off the ice. And I, I do agree with you that Cogliano and Silverberg, the guys who are still active, are probably the most likely forwards to yeah. be in this tier uh, anytime soon. Um, Don to defenseman? Yeah. You started off. Who do you, who do you got as your, uh, your number one pick? So this, 
this was the easiest pick for me. I knew this person was going to be one of my picks yeah. automatically. And it's Ruslan Soleil. I fucking love Ruslan Soleil. Ruslan yeah. Soleil, I'm sure I've talked about it before. He was my first favorite non-star Ducks player. I, you know, like I went and looked it up because like it's the house that Rusty built, right? And that's because of his game four overtime winner against New Jersey in the 03 finals, right? He had that huge goal off the faceoff, I think. The buck just kind of drops back. He just smashes it. If I'm being completely honest with you, I do not have a ton of like snapshot video memory of like Soleil doing this, Soleil yeah. doing that. I just have this overwhelming memory of emotion essentially of every time I saw him he made me happy he was fighting he was getting penalties he was you know he didn't he did not have as many points as I would have thought he did as a kid just because of how much I loved him and how much it felt like he was always involved um I would love to see what some of his advanced numbers were if we had that kind of information um and you know like again like I just think he meant a lot to this franchise when I was when I was a kid watching this team. Uh, you know, he played with the team from '99 to '06. Like he he was he was a big part of this team for a long time. Or sorry, he played with them longer than that. But '99 is when uh, they started doing time on ice because from '99 to '06 he was 24 to 31. He averaged 22 minutes a night. You know, like. That's the heart of his career, and he's putting up 22 minutes a night. So, like, he was a big part of this team. Yeah. Um, he killed penalties. He was on probably the second power play. He was, you know, and just I just remember loving him, just absolutely loving the way he played and everything about his game. Uh, so, so for me, he was he was a really just a lock for me. Like, I think, uh, you know, like I've jokingly made the claim that they should hang his number. And it's only half a joke because I do think he was one of the first like other guys that made a real difference for this team. So yeah. no, he was. Uh, I had two guys for defensemen where I felt like this was an easy conversation. Both of them were locks. I had some other guys that I thought you know deserved it and could be, but these two guys, Soleil and the, and the guy that I'm going to mention next, are the two guys I was like, yeah, for sure. Like if anybody, if you, I think if you ask most people, they would say it was these two guys. And, and the, the guy I had was Francois Beauchemin um, yep. for a lot of the same reasons, again, for Roussan Soleil, just the next era after him, right? And, and being that shutdown defenseman, the guy who kind of carried the load that way, penalty kill, got things done, was a leader on the team, you know, the, they're – you know the, their kind of history matches up pretty similar, and the fact that they're they're almost I think I think they're two or two four games apart games played apart yeah two so Rusan Slay second most games played of any defenseman in franchise history Boschman's third Fowler's first right. uh, for anybody wondering ten seasons with the Ducks for Boschman nine with the Ducks for Slay Slay six most Pims in franchise history and then for Boschman a little bit more on the point side with four fourth in goals and points among defensemen in franchise history only Fowler mm-hmm. Niedermeyer and Lindholm are in front of him now the Ducks haven't had a, a lot of defensemen who've stuck around for 500 plus games who were guys who put up a ton of points really only Fowler and Niedermeyer I guess you could classify as those guys but he always just kind of chipped in for the important goal every now and then right and was a big part of that uh, Stanley Cup winning team behind Niedermeyer and Pronger as that kind of next option, right? And and mm-hmm. I, I think for everything he's done for the organization, the fact that he had two stints 
left, came back, and was just as impactful when he came back as well. Sorry, three cents, right? With uh, with the team, every time he came back, everybody loved him. He still was an impactful player. He played his role the right way. Was a leader with this team. Um, I think for all again, a lot of the reasons you said for Soleil as well. Like I think him and Boschman just kind of made sense for this, where uh-huh. you could make a case. I think with either of them, just with Ruchin as them potentially, if you wanted to again load up on the rafters, that they could potentially get their names up there. But for this, they are yes. front and center. A hundred percent locks. Like they, they again, the easiest three names I picked on here were Ruchin, Soleil, and Boschman. It was right off the bat. Like those are the three guys that have to get in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think uh, Frankie's a wonderful pick. I mean, look, he's got the fight with Aginla um, as one of those just like like non Ducks fans remember that fight with yep. Aginla from the playoffs. Like it was just it rocked. Like I just think um, you know he. He played for, like, he spent a ton of time as basically being the training wheels for, like, every young Ducks defender to come through for, like, four years. Yeah. He played with young Fowler. He played with young uh, Lindholm. Um, Theodore, I, I'm I think, sure, at some point, too. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say. Montour, he played with think, Theodore. Yeah. You know, like, he just, he was just such a steady presence. And it's so funny to me that he has two less games and half as much penalty minutes, but also almost twice as many points yeah nothing proves to me how much my love of ruslan soleil changes like my memory of him just like as far as like production because like i felt like he scored more than that like than the yeah. fact that francois beauchemin almost doubled him yeah in basically the same games and it's just like that shouldn't be possible but you know at the same time Francois Beauchemin played with overall, I would say, far better talent on average, right? The qualities of the rosters, which is reflected in the fact that he probably had the more successful runs. It it is really funny, too, if you look at it, because Soleil got to the team in 97 and left in 06. Frankie's first year was 06, and his last year was 18. So they kind of cover what is, you know, roughly the most successful eras in Anaheim history and, and the, certainly the two most prominent eras yeah. in Anaheim history. Um, yeah, I, I 100% agree with you uh, that those two guys are are just easy locks. Like, to me, you could make a legitimate case that Ruchin, Niedermeyer, Ryan, and these two guys is your first group to go in. Yep. And I don't think anybody would argue with you. No. Um, you know, um, so just out of curiosity, who was your other, I know you said that these were your two locks, but who was somebody else that you thought about for this? I, I thought about Chris Pronger, um, yeah. because of the impact obviously he had with this team. Uh, it's the second most games played with any other franchise in history, other than the team that retired his Jersey in St. Louis. He played 500 plus mm-hmm. games in St. Louis, 220 games with the Ducks. His production over that time, I think it was 150 points in 220 games, 30 points in 38 playoff games with the Ducks. Uh, it's just like the right prime eras of his career were spent in Anaheim and ultimately resulted in a Stanley Cup. And I don't think they do it without him. I think the impact he had while oh, no he, fucking yeah, way. the impact he had while he was in, in Anaheim is the main reason he deserves to have a spot. Um, you know, again, I, I think Soleil and Boschman beat him on longevity and being with the team for as long as they were. But in terms of individual impact, 
and the ability to kind of individually lead a team to a championship, I think Pronger gets in there because of that. He was my next kind of, if you want to have a lock, the only reservation again is Jersey is retired in St. Louis. The peak, the most success he had in terms of games played and points and everything. And what people remember him for is his time in St. Louis. Um, So that was my only reservation on why he he came third. I also thought about Oleg Tevradovsky as well. Um, But uh, he would, he would have been a distant fourth, I think between behind these guys. Did you have anybody else? Uh, so I, I kind of uh, didn't just because I wasn't sure who you were going to pick. Yeah. Um, and I just kind of wanted to leave it open. But I, I think Chris Pronger is – I think everything you said about Chris Pronger is right. I think it's hard to have a bigger impact in 220 games than yeah. Chris Pronger did in, in Anaheim. You know, he was a second-team postseason all-star the year they won the cup, he got heart votes. He was third in the Norris voting the year they won the cup. Like this is 32 year old Chris Pronger. And just in case there were any questions about how bad a man this dude was from 35 to 37, he was with Philadelphia. And that 2009, 2010 year, his first year at Philly, he dragged their asses basically by himself uh, to the fucking playoffs. Uh, to the, the finals. finals, yeah, yeah, it was you know and they just and, they lost to a dynasty. Mike team. Richards, yeah, they lost to yeah exactly, and then for some reason Philly was like, what if we? Well, I know why, but like still they were just like, what if we just send everybody to the four corners of the world, yeah. and then languish in obscurity forever? Which was exactly uh, but, yeah, what they're doing right now. <laughs> yeah, fuck, we might have to do a diagnostic episode on those yeah. cats. Uh, but yeah, exactly like you said, the bulk of his career, the most meaningful part of his career was absolutely in St. Louis. I think Anaheim is as silly as it seems. I think the closest comparable that I can think of, and thank God Chris Pronger is so good. Otherwise, I would sound like such an asshole. <laughs> but is 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 Ray Bork when he moved to Denver mm-hmm. and he got that cup? Right, Ray Bork's the Boston guy. Like I don't think you know. There nobody has any thoughts against that it's that but like everybody literally everybody was so happy when he finally got that cup and he did it in denver yeah and you know it it was awesome and i i I feel that anaheim is that for pronger you know he had the run to the finals in 06 with edmonton where they lost to the carolina and then he basically tells them i'm not doing this shit anymore get me out of here comes to Anaheim, plays for three seasons, and dominates, man, and just creates, you know, there are not a lot of blue lines that had two two better defensemen at the same time uh, than the Ducks did when they had um, Pronger and Niedermeyer together, uh, and neither of which was at the height of their powers. I think both of them were on the other side of 30, and they were still dominant players. Uh, so I, I'm with you there. Um, yeah, as far as fringe cases, I, I think you could make a fringe case for someone like Keith Carney, yeah. who's a pretty steady kind of guy. Uh, I think you can make a decent case for possibly someone like Nick Havlid. Um, for me personally, the guy that I, I, I would love to give a little bit more love to would be Sheldon Brookbank, but he just didn't play enough games, but he was, he was a big part of the team when he was there. He was a very steady presence. Uh, you know, he was one of the guys on the team that stepped up a lot for other guys and, you know, threw him around a lot. But like, 
I don't think he ever got enough credit for being as smart of a player as he was. Like he left Anaheim, went to Chicago, retired and joined the bench basically immediately. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, again, other context, notwithstanding, Joe Quenville is the one who like looked at Sheldon Brookbank and was like, no, you're smart. You can stand over here. Yeah. You know, so I, that, that means something, but you know, again, and, and, Again, I think his style of play is kind of indicative of what Anaheim fans for a long time loved, right? With that really heavy hockey, that really physical hockey, that tough-nosed, just literally punch you in the face hockey. And I think a lot of that comes from being a young franchise, having a chip on your shoulder, um, being the second Southern California team. LA is just LA, right? That They had Gretzky. They're also the second biggest market in the world or in this country. Um you know, so you can't get away from all of that. And then, you know, I just think he had a chip on his shoulder the way a lot of Ducks fans did. And he played a very, very heavy style and it rocked. You know what I mean? The guys like that have always kind of had uh, managed to find a special place in the hearts of Anaheim fans. The thing I love about this is, is the guys we have in here show you how the Ducks played for you mm-hmm. know, 10, 15, 20 years. <laughs> like Boschman, Soleil. Mm-hmm. Pronger to some extent, Rooch and Peros and, you know, and Rob Niedemeyer, you know, the only skill guy I guess we've included is, is Bobby Wright, if you want to yeah. call it that. But it, yeah, it does show you. And that's, that's kind of the, again, the point we mentioned of this is to show you the, the impactful players and, and it kind of paints a picture of how the, the team was and, and how they played and, and how these guys, you know, why they meant so much to these teams uh, over the years. But uh, we got to wrap this up with goalies. Now, yeah. I went into this thinking it was going to be a simple one of two guys. It sounds like you have some some more options. Um, I'll lead off with this. I was going to include one guy, but similar to my Perry conversation, I feel like one of these guys has a better chance to get their name up in the rafters eventually. Um, if there's this buffer time. Now, it might not be with Getzlaff retiring now, where Getzlaff could literally get his, his jersey up in a couple of years. So this might eliminate that a he little bit. He could get it up in a couple of months. Yeah, 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 depending on how Unless early they want to do it. Unless he yeah. and says, okay, wait, 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 I want to come back, which I don't think he's going to do. I, I'm not 100% sure we get to the next draft and his jersey is in the rafters. Yeah, and then Perry, depending on how long he continues to play, he would be next. Right. So so Jaguar was the guy I was going to pick. Um mm-hmm. I think he has the best chance, despite you know not being my pick in Ring of Honor. I think he has the best chance of be- getting his name up in the rafters because of the success he had with the organization, winning the Stanley Cup, dragging the team there, dragging them there to a final against um, the New Jersey Devils. Right, like just doing that and and the success and and, and the impact he had on this organization as an individual I, I feel like he has the best chance now if he doesn't he's my first pick for this if he if he doesn't get his name in the rafters he's my first pick for for um the ring of honor however the next one for me is Guy Hibbert first duck franchise leader in games played wins for goaltenders I, I, you know, again, the success not necessarily there. It's tough to do that, I guess, in the early years of the franchise as well. But I think, again, and, and there's something to be said about the fact he's still with the organization. I know it's in a broadcast role, whatever, but it I, doesn't I, mean nothing. Though. Yeah, it doesn't mean. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think for me, it was a, it was a toss up between the two. The success and the individual success that Jaguar had with the Ducks is what put him over the top for me. 
Uh, but I do think there is a slight shout potentially for him to get the number up in the rafters. If the Ducks want to have a goalie up there, I don't think that's the best reason to do it. But um, beyond Perry and Getzlaff, he's my next guy. If somebody's going to get their jersey retired right now uh, for the Ducks, it's Getzlaff, Perry, Jaguar, right? So I, I think uh, I think that's what took him off my list. So Guy Hebert is my guy as that technicality. Yeah, I, I, I think... Um... I think those two guys make a lot of sense, right? I think, uh, you know, you can't tell the history of Anaheim without those two guys. Uh, again, Sean Sebastian Shagara presents an incredibly interesting case when looking at where the lines are for um, goalie retirement, uh, not goalies, where the lines are for jersey retirements, uh, you know, how much longevity and impact and how high of a high do you have to get to get there, right? Like, you know, there's only four goalies in Anaheim's history who have played over 300 games. Coincidentally, those are the same goalies who have over 100 wins. They all have over 150. Uh, Jonas Hiller is fourth with 326 games on 162 wins. Gibby is third, 378 games, 166 wins. Guy Bear. Uh, 441, 173 wins. John Sebastian, game time, uh, games played leader. Uh, 447 games played, 206 wins. John Gibson, to me, will ultimately be the best goalie to have played in Anaheim. I think it's also fair to say that John Jabaston Seguer deserves to be the goalie up. If like you said, you want to have somebody up there. I said to you before we started that I think that there are three guys. I think leaving out Jonas Hiller is a mistake. I think Jonas Hiller deserves to be um, in this ring of honor conversation. Cause there was a long time where Jonas Hiller was, really the only thing that kind of helped make this team anywhere close to competitive. And it's, it's remarkable to me that he only has one, he only got Vezina votes in one year. Um, and we know the vertigo completely derailed his career. He played, he, he started 72 games in 2011, 2012. You know what I mean? Like he was just such an important player. He was so much fun to watch play. Um, Jonas Hiller, I think, is the guy that you would make the case for. If not, then I think, um, I think, like you said, Jaguar, like for the Ring of Honor, if you can leave Jaguar out for a second, I think Ebert is the first goalie that goes into the Ring of Honor. Yeah. And now that you've got him there, you've given him his proper,s you've given him the love that he clearly deserves. Um, then you can have the conversation about what do you do with Jaguar? Does he go up? He's got the consummate. He's got the Stanley Cup. He's got the moment with Solani. All that stuff. Yeah. Um, but once you get Ebert into that ring of honor, I think it, it kind of helps settle that whole thing down. Yeah. Uh, because I think if you put Jaguar up before you get Ebert some more love for what he's done, I, I, I do think it's a little rough. Um, but yeah, I think those are the three guys. I think Hillary, Bear, and Jaguar have have a legitimate case that they should be Ring of Honor players. And obviously, Jaguar has a case that he should go up. Uh, I think, like you said, he's the closest to a next guy. I think you have to put him in over Soleil. I think you have to put him in over Pronger, over, uh, you know, 
uh, Andy McDonald or Rob Niedermeyer. Or like, like again, none of these guys have a have a shot to go up, which is my point, I guess. Um, so yeah, I think those are the guys. I think, you know, I, I guess. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I guess we can say that we have kind of settled on a six-man yeah. lineup to go into the Anaheim Ducks' first ring of honor. So the forwards would be Ruchin, Niedermeyer, and Ryan. Mm-hmm. The defensemen would be Frankie and Soleil. Yep. And Ebert would be the goalie. Yeah. Now here's a question real quick. Is there a coach that you would put into the Ring of Honor? Yeah, so, yeah this this was this was interesting. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so it's it's tough. I, I think you have to say Randy, right? Like you you kind of you kind of have to, even though the second stint wasn't as great as the first. Um, but the Stanley Cup, right? Like all like again, it, for me, it comes down to the success, right. and I feel like you can't have. You know, Randy was there for a lot more than just the Stanley Cup. But at the end of the day, the coach who goes in there should be the one who's stuck around with the franchise the longest, who's coached the most games, and has had the most success. And as much as we've had our issues with Randy, he's the guy, right? Like, he yeah. is the coach that goes in there. Like, there, there are other options you can think of if you want to put a second one in after there. I don't know if there is even – maybe Bruce would be the second one. You could for think. me, it's Ron Wilson. Yeah. For me, mm-hmm. it is Ron Wilson is the guy that I would look at if you were going to put somebody else in. Yeah, yeah, I, th- um, I think those are the only two. I think it, it's yeah. Randy, and then you could Bruce or Ron, and and that's yeah. it. I I don't think you know again, Babcock his success was elsewhere. Didn't have a ton of time in Anaheim. Anybody else that's been there, you, there's just not enough of an argument to really say and you know bruce had the success in the regular season and took the ducks far but ultimately didn't get over the hump and then for ron wilson what he did in the early years for the ducks there's something to be said about how valuable that was right so i absolutely I, I think there are two different cases of a coach having to come in and take over that team from the beginning and you know lead a very young you know just put together from the expansion draft to... I mean, we saw how important that was with Gerard Gallant, and yeah. nothing has shown how much more important that is than how fucking much Dave Axtell sucks. Yeah. yeah. Like, honestly, you know what I mean? Like, to the extent that you're... Like, to the point that you're making about how important a head coach can be early on, like, we have two very easy examples to, you know, to juxtapose against each other. Like, yeah. Dave Axtell... So even if you want to say he didn't do an actively bad job, Dave Axtell was a borderline non-figure this year and that's on a team that didn't have any stars i like guys on that seattle team they don't have any stars gerard gallant and mark andre fleury and then william carlson were the heart of that vegas team those were the three guys coming out of that first year where you're like oh that's the franchise then they made all these other things, you know, all the other stuff that happened after them out of that first year early on. Like, I don't think you could say there was anyone more important than Gerard Gallant with the exception of Marc-Andre Fleury. Yeah, no, 100%. And, and I, I think uh, I think when you get into that discussion outside of Randy between Ron and, and Bruce, it, it is what do you value most at that point? Do you right. value what he had to do and, and how he led that team in a tough time in, in terms of Ron? Or do you value the success that Bruce had despite not being able to get it done 
in the playoffs and, and get you to the Stanley Cup final and get you to the Stanley Cup, right? So it is tough because it's success, but not the Randy level of success of winning versus mm-hmm. dragging a team through the mud and still getting some some level of success out of them and getting the best out of young players like you know Paul Korea, right? So it is it is tough. Now the the one thing I wanted to get to quickly before we we move on for all this with the Jaguar Rafters talk, I had an interesting comparison um, on whether Jaguar should be in the Rafters. I'm so, excited. do you think Tim Thomas deserves to be in the Rafters for the Boston Bruins? Fuck no. Okay. So I feel like they they have very similar levels of success at a certain age with their teams in terms of dragging <sighs> their teams to Stanley Cup champions. Um, fairly similar wins, games played, totals, regular season success. Thomas's regular season save percentage and numbers are a little bit better than um, than Jiggy's, but Boston was also a powerhouse at that time as well. So that that was my my I think my closest comparison off the top of my head I could come up with is if 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 Jiggy deserves it or you know does Tim Thomas deserve it because they arguably did kind of the same thing, right? <sighs> I, I, I guess yeah. Like, are you saying that Tim Thomas's time in Boston and Jaguar's time in Anaheim, the total games played are similar? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Jaguar played four forty-seven. Uh, Thomas played three seventy-eight. Okay. In Boston, do me a favor. Look up Chris Osgood's Detroit numbers because that's the one to me that gets the closest to Jaguar. Which is interesting because I feel like he splits the difference because I I think Tim Thomas was a better goaltender than Jaguar. Uh, I don't think you can argue that. Yeah. So, but Chris Jaguar. Os- uh, Chris Osgood won two Stanley Cups with Detroit. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, for Chris Osgood, 565 games played, 317 wins with the Red Wings. Uh, 905 save percentage over that time. <laughs> Very interesting. 110 playoff games, two Stanley Cups, two of which um, he has technically three Stanley Cups, but the first one he only played two games. So the other two are the ones he led the team to success. 918 save percentage in 22 games played in the first one, 930 save percentage in 19 games in the next one, in the season after that, he led them back to the the cup final where they lost with a 926 save percentage. So was one game short. They won 15. He won 15 games that year. I think it was against Pittsburgh, I believe. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I it's just a pretty good comparison like, as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting. The Jaguar parallels question is, is super interesting because like, is he kind of like, I guess in terms of, of like impact relative to team success is he kind of Bobrovsky and Columbus ish? Like obviously Bobrovsky has multiple Vezinas, so that puts him ahead in that sense. But I also think Jaguar was on teams that were not the most successful, despite yeah. how well he played. And the same for Bobrovsky with Columbus. Yeah, I, I think I think I think Osgood and, and Thomas are very good comparisons to Jaguar. I think the mm-hmm. only leg up I'd give Jaguar, and maybe it's not fair, is the history of those other two teams, the other mm-hmm. goaltenders they've had there, 
yes, you know, Osgood, two Stanley Cups, two of them he led the team to. So that that's something to be said for sure. And I think a lot of Red Wings fans argue he probably should be up there, and maybe he eventually will. And the same argument, again, goes for Tim Thomas in Boston. So a lot of great goaltenders before him. They've had good goaltenders after him. He, you know, led them to that Stanley Cup. He was good when he was there. But the history of goaltenders before him and the history of that team, the number of jerseys that they've got retired and the, the stature of the players that have been retired there, it doesn't like, line up, right? Like, so their level of ring of honor, I think, is different than when we're talking about the yeah, Ducks for because sure. of the names that are up in the rafters there. It's hard to put somebody up there when you have you know, Bobby Orr up there. You you know, you know have Iserman or guys like that up in the rafters. You're like, okay, like... <laughs> It's not the same level to some extent. So I think in that case, it works a little bit for Jaguar, where he's clearly the best right now, the best goaltender in franchise history in yes. terms of success and, and, and everything, mm-hmm. right? So it makes sense where he could go up there because he is. Where Osgood is not the best goaltender in franchise history for the Red Wings, and Thomas is the best goaltender in franchise history for the Bruins. I think that's what works against them. So it is a tough – I don't know if there really is a direct comparison then in that sense of somebody who – has the similar numbers and similar success, you know, one or two Stanley Cups, 400, 500 plus games, decent regular season numbers, but still being the the franchise's best goaltender. I'd be interested to see if we could look at some of the, you know, the, the um, younger teams, if you want to call it that, and see if anybody really compares, but I, I don't know. Yeah, that's, an, that's a really interesting one, I guess. And again, see, like, it's weird because, like, all the examples that I can think of that feel similar to the way Jaguar had an impact on those Ducks teams, I think are, diff- like, inarguably a tier or two ahead of where Jaguar is. Because the two that came to mind for me are um, Lundqvist and Price. Those yeah. guys are both better, yeah. you know, than Jaguar. But as far as being the guy that takes their team as far as they can possibly fucking go on their own. Like, those two dudes, like, are right up there. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's even funnier, I guess, that Lundqvist loses... Lundqvist in New York loses to L.A., and then Jaguar in Anaheim loses to New Jersey. That's funny to me. Um, it's the same thing, but different, you know. New Jersey, the Orange County of, uh, of New York. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> I wonder who's going to be the... I wonder who's going to be more mad at me for that. New Jersey people or Ducks people? Ducks people. Probably Ducks people. Probably New Ducks Jersey people. people won't ever hear me. I think New Jersey Cause... people hearing that that they're the Orange County of New York is a compliment to them than what they normally hear. <laughs> well, hey, that might be true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's an interesting thing. I think the the idea of like comparatives and context and stuff like that, because like with Boston, like I, I would have a hard time retiring Tim Thomas's number over Tuka Rass number. Yep. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, I just, it's too grasp. Like, that's the guy of, you know, the last 20 years of, like, who's the best? Like, fucking too grasp. He's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Like, the peak of what Tim Thomas was able to achieve for a couple years was incredible. But as far as, like, consistency, longevity, uh, too grasp overwhelmingly has been one of the most underappreciated goalies for 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, Regular season numbers are better. Uh, in playoffs, roughly the same success, right? Uh, how many cups did Rask? Did he have one, right? He was one, oh, actually, uh, one I, as the backup behind Tim Thomas. 
Okay, but they weren't he took to them to one, within one game and players. within two games uh, back in 2012, 2013, and 2018, 2019. And he was his numbers like he dragged them. 934 <laughs> save percentage in 2018-19, a 940 save percentage in 2012-2013 with 14 wins. That's un- unbelievable. That's the year they lost to Chicago? I, th- I think so, 2012-2013. Yeah, it sounds about the, the yeah. year that Chicago was was cooking. So, yeah, no, he's... Uh... Boston won 11, Chicago won 12. No, New York, uh, the Kings won 12. Chicago won 13, Kings won 14, Chicago won 15. Yeah, that sounds right. Mm-hmm. And then it went Penguins, Penguins, Capitals, then St. Louis, Tampa, Tampa? Yep, I think so. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I think he has a better case than, the, than those guys. It's a hard comparable, but yeah, to, to wrap that up, I, I think if I had to pick somebody out of Getzlaff and Perry who deserves their their uh, number retired, it's, it's probably Jaguar. And it makes sense if you want to, like, again, if you're going to have a goaltender, and I think, you know, Gibson will make a case depending on how long he sticks around in Anaheim, but for the next 10 years, there's going to be nobody else Right, mm-hmm. you've got to build it up. You got to find somebody who's going to play four, five, six hundred games here before you even get to that conversation again. At some mm-hmm. point, after Getzlaff and Perry, there's not going to be anybody for a while. And if you're going to want to retire somebody, if if anybody's going to make sense, I I think I, it's Jager. Yeah, and the truth of the matter is, there is exactly one player on the team right now that you're like, if everything stays roughly the way it is, they've got an outside shot. And it's Cam Fowler. Yep. Yep. That's it. That's the only other guy on the team right now that's going to have a shot. Uh, Lindholm and Manson, I think, ultimately are Ring of Honor level players. Yeah. They would have had to stay uh, longer for them to yeah. get to that Raquel, point. Yeah. same thing. You know, Ring of Honor-ish level player. Like, uh, maybe not even because it feels like it was really only two great seasons out of him. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah. Fowler's going to get to 1,000 games played. He's going to lead all defensemen in franchise history in all categories. Like there will be no question. I think at that point where, yeah, when you've done that, despite him not being, you know, need level player, when you finish your career, been here for that long, you lead in all those categories. You mm-hmm. have to, like you, I think when we get to that point in, you know, five years or so, when we're looking at Fowler's career and, and having that argument, um, it's going to feel like a no-brainer at that point if he sticks around and, and is the leader in all those categories. You just kind of have to at that point, right? So, is Real quick, this will be the last question, and then we'll get the hell out of here. Relative to position, right, to, to the other people at their position at the time that they're playing, yep. is Cam Fowler better or worse than Jaguar? That's tough. Um, and I know that's hard because there's, you know, six times 30 fucking defensemen and two maybe. Again, times just in terms of like their impact on the team when they were there kind just of thing? Relative, Yeah, just like relative to like other defensemen, other goalies out there, how they played for the team. Wow. Is Cam Fowler better relative to defensemen than Jaguar was relative to goalies? Ah, oh, man. That's a hard question. That's so hard. Um, you know, again, Jaguar, the success is something, 
But I think we do severely under underrate and undervalue the the impact that Cam Fowler's had on the Ducks' long playoff runs. Well, you don't know for sure, mm-hmm. but uh, I think the fan base as a whole over you know Lindholm was the guy, right? Lindholm was the guy, and he, for the longest time, I think, and you know, for good reason. But Fowler has been an impactful player, and with Lindholm and everybody gone, he's taking that now he's the guy right so yeah, he is it it's so tough i mean like if you're comparing it to other defensemen on the team and other defensemen in the league he doesn't quite stack up to that but at the end of the day my thing with fowler is the numbers he's put up with this franchise will speak for themselves mm-hmm. and, I and i think that that's what will put him ultimately over the edge i think compared to jaguar just because he will have those statistics and again i all of that is due to longevity and being here as long as he has. It doesn't mean he's a significantly better player than than Jaguar yeah, no, in, in yeah. relative, but it's just he'll have those. Like he already has most of them now to begin with. Um, and I'm I'm not even you know off the top of my head he might be. I can't remember if he was the the points leader in, in franchise history among defensemen this year. I can't yeah, remember that. So yeah, so he might already have all of those now. Like, it, it doesn't even matter. Like. Yeah, I, um, oh, that's what I wanted to ask you, the actual last question before the next last question. <laughs> Do you think Cam Fowler puts on another jersey before he retires? Oh, man. Well, he's, how old is he now? 29. He's 30, going to turn 31 in December. Fuck off, he is not. Yeah, he's 30. December's December, uh, birthday's December 5th. So he'll be 31 in December. Uh, and he's got what? How are we only? Oh, I don't like that. I'm sorry, Cam, for everything I've ever said. And how many Beautiful. how many years does he have left? Let's see. Four? Five? Four. I got to check. Cause this is... No, it might be five. I think him and uh, what you call it are on the same deal, basically. This year, next year, the year after. and So four this season and then three seasons past that. Okay, and so then Gibby he will be this year and four two, more. Two, okay, three, four. So he'll be thirty-four at the end of his contract. Will turn thirty-five in that next season if he was to resign. And he'll have been playing since he was eighteen. That that's such a very tough endpoint to the contract, right? Because it depends on how he's playing at that point. If the Ducks aren't good, and or even if they are, and he's not good, and they want to like it's it's so tough. To, to tell what they'll do at that point. Because he could still go somewhere for two or three years. Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely and try and win a cup. Or the Ducks could move on from him because he's not playing well. And he's just kind of sticking around the NHL. Um, yeah, that I don't think it will affect his legacy. But yeah, if he's going to spend... The, I don't know if he'll spend the, the rest of his career in Anaheim. I think it's it's a it's a toss-up. And it, it depends on two things. Like I, all of it does is, are the Ducks good? And is he still good? And do those line up? Because if he's still good and the Ducks are good, I think they'll keep him around. But if the Ducks are good, well, and he's sure not, the Ducks. Then... Well, yeah, okay. So I, I would hope remember... to God they are good in five years because <laughs> that would be. More, yeah, my question was more of is like, Eve, like when his contract is up, that's when I expect Anaheim to have become a second round playoff team, right? Like. Three years from now, I would like, excuse me, I would like to hope they can make a second round, right? And again, there's so many parts of that. Obviously, Toronto's an incredible team, and I'm not even trying to be funny about it. Like, you know, so there's so many different things, but we did see Florida this year take that step. Yeah. Uh, You know, and their guys are 
fair amount older. It took him a little longer to get the rest of the team around him, but still, um, you know, I, I could see the team going to him and being like, do you want the bridge deal we gave you when you were a kid and giving him three, three or four by four mm-hmm. and having him be the fourth defenseman, you know what I mean? And, and kind of be a Francois Beauchamp in light, like-ish role player for the team, you know, as his age. Because again, he's a fucking incredible skater. So to me, you if you're Anaheim, you're basically hoping he becomes Brian Campbell. And he's just a good enough skater for so long, and he's smart enough that as long as he takes care of himself, mm-hmm. he can be a useful player. Yeah. You know, it's, it's such a I, weird, it's such a tough cutoff point at 34 turning 35, <laughs> right? To, right. Because he's not six, you know, he's not Chara, where you're like, yeah, this guy could play for 40 years because he's big, he stays in shape, and he has a simple game. Shuts you down, he uses his size, and that's it. You can see him playing until he's 45. Like, it just makes sense. With Cam, it's like you said, so much of his game relies on skating. If him being good at 34, 35, depends on if that's still intact at that point. If he if he's still you know up to speed with the rest of, of see of the to game. me I, I I think because his skating is so good and because he is smart I do think he has the opportunity to play till he's forty yeah I um, think he does too I I think I think he will still be good at thirty four thirty five I think he, he the way the style of his game and, and how smart he is out on the ice I, I think there's enough there to say that he could still be an impactful how the game player. is going yeah yeah and and I. I, I think he's a good player to have around at that point when you're you know when you're looking at veterans on this team we're talking about guys who could be the next captain he's near the top of that list right in that you're gonna need some of these guys that have been around and know the organization for as long as they have and have learned things from from over a longer period of time than one or two seasons from guys like Ryan Getzlaff and Tim Mussolini and Corey Perry and right now he's the only guy that projects to be that type of player you know to, to be that guy um so i think until we bring in uh stanley cup champions andre palat and valerian Nishchuskin, yeah. right yeah and and stanley cup champion two-time stanley cup champion Corey perry comes back so <laughs> but uh yeah i i mean i i think he i think he does i think he sticks around um when that contract's up but it, it does it does depend on on his level of play at that point and where the ducks are and hopefully not still in a rebuild <laughs> those classic two minor details about yeah. a contract are you good are they good yeah. does it make sense <laughs> uh yeah so yeah um all right well we should get the hell out of here you were supposed to be done an hour ago <laughs> we always end up extending that's how these usually go so um but yeah that was a fun show we've been waiting a while to do so it's nice to finally uh get that mm-hmm. one done we're gonna have a bunch of different stuff throughout the summer um whether it's specifically ducks related or just hockey related or whatever like we're just gonna you know when the draft is over and when free agency kind of dies down a bit we've got some plans to kind of just do whatever in the summer mm-hmm. pump out some shows and, and kind of talk about whatever we want um so that will be coming up after obviously the hockey stuff dies down but in the meantime uh, i know we have a few more ideas we've discussed that we're we're going to work on and, and have ready just in case interviews fall apart or whatever and you know draft shows don't go as planned that we've got set up but as for specific scheduled ducks content we do have our draft preview at some point uh we're just working on finding a guest that uh, is able to hop on when we're able to hop on um and and 
bang out a show and, and get that up. But we still got some time, so we're hoping to do one, if not two of those. Um, mm-hmm. We can schedule them, and then after the draft, we'll have our little draft recap show, and then uh, looking ahead to free agency, and then hoping to get the boys back on too. Hoping to get uh, yeah, we got Jay, got Jay once, and hoping he wandered out. <laughs> well, yeah, he wandered back on for a bit, and um, <laughs> we're hoping to get Pat back on. He's working on it, so uh, whether that's I doubt for the draft preview, but um, a Pucks and Bruce style show or something like that. Yeah, um, maybe we'll do some kind of you know post-draft season wrap-up or something, and we'll make sure to get Patty on here to yeah. give us all the hot takes he's been holding in. What was the thing the other day that Stephen, or not Stephen, uh, Jay was saying that I did, something to do with Canada that I didn't tell him about that he was saying would be a great Ask a Canadian thing. I can't remember now. I'll have to go back in the chat, but that would be... Oh, um... Surprisingly, did not have to do with bag milk this time, so... no. Oh, no, it did. It absolutely did. He didn't know there was, like, a Canadian dairy committee or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. It actually was still about bag milk. <laughs> so it always seems to come back to bag milk. But, yeah, we'll get those guys on to do a fun show like that because we're, we're not holding them hot hostage, we swear. Right? We're hoping they can they can get back on soon. But, um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this one. It was a lot of fun for us to put together. And uh, we'll be back soon with some more some more shows. Bye, everybody.